0: I'm Emma Katz, and this is Pandemic Sexuality, a podcast about navigating sexuality and intimacy during our generation's two greatest plagues, the HIV-AIDS epidemic and the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: We adapted to these new circumstances and found ways to stay together, stay intimate, um, and and sort of feed our, our, our bodies and our souls. Our circles became smaller, but our groups became more intimate. At the same time, you really saw the caretakers.
0: We knew that we were really in this to take care of one another.
1: scared of every single physical interaction with someone, with a sexual partner, right? Like, need to minimize risk as much as possible, but I can't let this fear rule my life and keep me from being intimate with people. The optimist in me says that we're very flexible, we're adaptable, and that um, we're seeking ways to, to find connection.
0: The past year has forced all of us to reckon with the risks of intimacy, and while we've all heard that these are, quote, unprecedented times, the fact is that we have been here before. This podcast will tell the stories of people whose sexual and romantic lives were affected by HIV AIDS, and look to them for wisdom on how to find connection during a plague. Today we'll be hearing from columnist and author Stephen Petro. For him and other gay men of his generation, COVID-19 has brought back many of the emotions they experienced when HIV-AIDS decimated their communities in the 1980s and 90s. It was 1984,
1: and I believe I was visiting my parents in New York City, and I, New York Magazine had an article about it. Pretty sure then it was, it was gay cancer, and it was really the first time I read in depth about it and it became clear that it was sexually transmitted and i was terrified because i was i had just really started having sex with men a couple of years before some of whom i knew some of whom i didn't know you know i understood that i could be at risk it was also the overlay that so called promiscuity was a risk factor which really wasn't correct it was it wasn't necessarily the number of people who, or the number of partners you were having, but it was the type of sex and whether or not you were using you know, whether or not you were using condoms.
0: Just two years later, Stephen was living in San Francisco and volunteering at the AIDS Foundation when he noticed a growth on his calf that looked to him like Kaposi sarcoma, a type of cancer that was common in HIV-positive people.
1: I went to my doctor at Student Health at Berkeley, where I was in graduate school, and. He was gay and he looked at it and he said well that looks like ks to me too and they did a biopsy and you know this is this really speaks to those times and the pathologists weren't really sure what it was and I, I have so i have my records and so they called my doctor and they said well is he gay and my doctor said well yes he is gay and they said well you know we're gonna you know then we're gonna make the assumption that this is Kaposi's sarcoma which is a presumptive diagnosis of aids and um that was August of 1986. And so basically I was given an AIDS diagnosis then. And I, I got sort of caught up into this whole um, process of, well, of fear without information.
0: Eventually, Steven saw a specialist who ran additional tests and determined that Stephen was not HIV positive. But that short period living with the diagnosis had a major effect on his life.
1: I did live for that month though thinking that I had AIDS and at that time AIDS was a death sentence because this was before the cocktail before AZT there were there were no effective treatments and I had gone to some other specialists who said you know there's really nothing that we can do for you you know uh, one of the comments that has always stayed with me was one one physician saying well you know go home and get used to the idea and you know basically what he was saying go home and get used to the idea of of dying and you know here I was 26 or something. Uh, so, I mean, I can say that was a profound turning point you know, in my life.
0: After his mistaken diagnosis, Steven decided to leave graduate school and become a journalist. His first book, Dancing Against the Darkness, A Journey Through America in the Age of AIDS, profiled a group of people diagnosed with AIDS from the time of their diagnosis to their eventual deaths. And just as the epidemic was directing his professional life, it was shaping his personal life and the way he related to people as well.
1: Here I was, you know, young guy, had just moved to San Francisco and Berkeley, I was coming out, I was having a lot of fun, I kind of went from 60 to zero pretty quickly. Um, At first, because I didn't know really whether I was potentially infectious to others, that was in the time when I still thought that I had AIDS. And then after that, because I was afraid. I was afraid of getting close to others for a couple of reasons or for two primary reasons. One, could I become infected even though I now knew, you know, best practices? And two, and I think this was the more profound fear, but it took a while for me to understand it, that, If I became attached or close to someone, I was afraid that they would die.
0: Living through the COVID-19 pandemic this past year has brought back a lot of these memories for Stephen. In October, he wrote an op-ed for the New York Times, Dating Means Fear, Again, to call attention to the similarities between the two plagues.
1: I was personally struck, but also was listening to many of my friends who were really kind of going through some form of, I'm not going to use this in a clinical way, but um, PTSD in terms of like reflecting back on this earlier epidemic and and how it was echoing again and just taking taking people also, um, again, sort of randomly, sort of bad luck, um, out of the blue, quickly, people disappearing.
0: For Stephen, coping with the realities of COVID-19 meant returning to many of the strategies he used to stay close to people when he was younger, like finding creative ways to be intimate.
1: I had a friend during the AIDS epidemic, and he was HIV positive. We found a way to be intimate that gave us both great comfort. We slept together, basically sort of in a cocoon, holding each other. It wasn't overtly sexual, but it was um, most definitely intimate and loving. And um, we would often talk about it that we were in this, this horrific storm and here we were in bed together, the, the quilt over us, holding each other, finding each other, touching each other. And, um, you know, and that, was, that was one of the ways that, that we got through it.
0: Having honest conversations about risk has also reemerged as a crucial part of connecting during COVID, especially for people like Steven, who have been dating during the past year.
1: We kind of went through this long distance courtship, which was also sort of involved a kind of interviewing of each other to understand how much risk we might each have. And then we got tested before we met. It was a lot of preparation for um, a, small, a small amount of intimacy, but it did seem like necessary steps to, to go through and reminiscent of sort of the necessary steps that we went through in the 80s and 90s.
0: Stephen has also been tapping into the lessons he learned as a young man about how to recognize the most important things in life and appreciate them in the moment.
1: In that New York Times um, op-edit that I wrote, I I wrote about my friend Bob who I I met through the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. And at the time I didn't understand this, but I, I knew that he was HIV positive and I was really, so afraid that I would lose him. Now, you know, does a so-called wiser adult who tries to live in the moment and not in the future, you know, I would redo that because we really don't have anything other than what's here right now. And to to think that we do into the future is probably folly and uh, is folly. And as it turned out with Bob, Bob lived until um, 2015 and, and then also, a of a different disease.
0: Weird After This by Leo Herrera You're gonna be weird after this. You'll recoil from a handshake, adjust masks that aren't there, pause before a hug, a stranger's sneeze or a common cold, may trigger fight or flight. COVID already changed your center of gravity by six feet. The AIDS pandemic changed the way we kissed, how we danced. We had to erect latex barriers in our most intimate moments. The flu came with panic attacks. This anxiety buried itself into our bone marrow. So we pioneered harm reduction. We got tested over and over. We negotiated our bodies with one another endlessly. We used social media and hookup apps to share our status. We even embraced new fetishes like rubber and puppy play. Our pride and intimacy soared. A scrap of viral RNA has placed the weight of nature on your back. The truth is you may never fully unbend, but learning to navigate this will help you walk a little taller.
1: I think that this pandemic has given me the opportunity to think about what is really important, what's not important. And I know I, like many people, you know, we want to rush back into that future when we can say COVID is behind us and I don't have to wear my mask anymore and I can kiss somebody that I don't know that well or that I do know that well. But I, I think the challenge within that is How do I take some of the good that has taken place during these months? And that I want to continue to be a part of my life, and part of that is being more introspective, is cultivating the friendships that have really mattered to me and sort of put other things to the side.
0: I spoke to Stephen in late January. President Biden's inauguration was the next day. COVID-19 vaccines were just starting to become available. We were both feeling cautiously optimistic. Yet even when the future arrives and the pandemic recedes, Stephen reminded me that we'll always carry something new with us—the memory of what we lost.
1: Tonight, President-elect Biden was reflecting on the 400,000 who have died from COVID in Washington, and he said, you know, "To heal, we have to remember." And I think many, many in the in the gay community are still healing from those early times, and those are the ones who are lucky because we're the ones who survived. And so many of our brothers and sisters did not survive. A very good friend of mine died last week, and he'd been diagnosed with HIV infection. When I first met him in the mid-1980s, I met him at the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. And he died last week at the age of 70 of bladder cancer. His name was Ken Jones. He was an African-American activist, a queer activist. He was depicted in um, the ABC miniseries, When We Rise. And I remember when I met him, its probably 1985 or 1986 at the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, he was director of volunteers and I was a volunteer on the hotline there. And um, I wondered how long I would know him. And I wondered like how quickly he might die. And here he lived all these years. So I did want to remember Ken and note his contribution to, you know, to my life and to so many others.
0: I want to thank Stephen so much for being my guest this week. You can find more about him and his writings at stephenpetro.com. You can find Leo Herrera on Instagram at Herrera Images. Many thanks to Jennifer Mills for her feedback on this episode. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back in two weeks with more stories of pandemic sexuality. Thanks for listening.